1: I'm sorry. Tully just put on aviators. It's really dark in here. <laughs> and Tully just like put on aviators. <laughs> yeah, I can't see it, anything. It, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Dungeon Deep Dive. We research stuff and we talk about it to help you put it in your things. I don't know who needs a, who needs an intro. I'm just going to say the
2: tagline. Um, I think officially we go by. Um, we do the research so you
1: don't have to. Ooh, hello. That's where I'm supposed to talk into. Ooh, it's microphone time, baby. It's microphone time, yeah. Um, I was talking to the side of it by accident. All good. Um, Alas, it is just Tully and I this week. Um, Danae is still unwell because it's the same night.
2: Because it is an hour after we recorded the last one.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but you'll hear her next week Yep. for for some fun stuff. So that'll be good. Um, But I hope for the moment that you can deal with just Tully and I as we run through a discussion of... The concept of pets.
2: Yes, it's very interesting, this one. Uh, we've been looking at domestication and the impact it has, and also what pets are going to look like.
1: Yeah. Um, so, domestication, just to kind of like bring it out for a minute, just kind of a broader scope. So, domestication comes from the Latin word domesticus, which meant belonging to the house. Um, uh. It is defined as a sustained multi-generational relationship in which like one creature, one like group of organisms has like very significant influence over the uh, reproduction and care of another group to secure a more predictable supply of resources from that second group.
2: There you go. So if you just if you just took a wolf, took them into your house, trained it, and then when that wolf died that was the end of it that's not actually domestication that's no. just training a wolf
1: yeah that's exactly that's that that is the distinction between domesticating and taming an animal like cuz ah. someone can make an animal less fearful around people but then the thing we'll get into is that domestication is a genetic shift in the animals um, so, it was first used, uh, primarily, we, actually with crops before it was ever used with, um, with regard to any animals.
2: Oh, yeah, I guess that does make sense.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, it was, we were dealing with, we were dealing with plants a long, a long time before we were dealing with animals for most of human history until, I, well, I guess, early human history, uh, something like a wolf or something, which ended up being the first thing we domesticated, would have been nothing but a terrible predator,
2: yeah, that would have been scary as shit,
1: right? So about twelve thousand years ago, in um, I believe in the Fertile Crescent that we were talking about last week, yeah, um, they they like domesticated cereals in the Middle East, kind of around that region, and the bottle gourd in like Africa, in like Northeast Africa and Asia.
2: Ah, oh, okay, that that makes sense as to how they consistently got the gourds to a certain shape, as if they mm-hmm. genetically. Yeah, okay.
1: -hmm. Um, So the thing is, and uh, Darwin was the first to notice this. I noticed this with animals specifically, but it's true for everything. Um, The... Byproduct of a domest of the process of domestication is mm-hmm. a genetically separate entity from the animal that from the thing that you started with. Um, we chalk that up to what we call domestication syndrome, which uh-huh. is essentially the series of traits that distinguish the new creature from the old one, the new organism from its ancestors.
2: Um, sorry, can I just go on a, a very quick aside about Charles Darwin? Something yes. I absolutely love. So Charles Darwin. Married, I believe it was his first cousin.
0: (laughs) I love
1: this story. Um, Yes, please continue.
2: I believe it was his first cousin had 10 pregnancies. 10 and Mm -hmm. five of the kids ended up dying. Oh, something like that. I think it was
1: like two died and three were infertile. Or maybe that was the other round. Yeah, it was like
2: a bunch died, a bunch were infertile. Like a lot of them got real sick. Um, Really
1: unhealthy children.
2: Yeah. And then Darwin was looking after his tomatoes. And he noticed that these inbred tomatoes were just not doing well. These plants that had been fertilized with the same plant kept giving really sick crops, mm. and he was like, "Ah, oh, I wonder if... Oh no, oh no!" <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's how he figured out that maybe that does fun stuff to to your kids. Maybe don't marry your cousin.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a good lesson. I'm glad that Darwin worked that one out for us.
2: Yeah, shame he had to figure it out after ten kids, but you know.
1: yeah yeah Yeah. it was um not a lesson you want to learn the hard way but at least he learned it exactly anyway go on (laughs) um so the main differences with stuff like um between the like main signs of domestication syndrome as they would call it with like wild plants is typically stuff like um for instance if you try to um like husk wild wheat then it's um it just like shatters to like recede, huh. uh, whereas, whereas with um, domesticated wheat, yeah, it's I believe may still shatter, but is ready to be harvested before it will, which oh, wild okay. wheat wouldn't be. Um, so we can harvest it like in that period where that's where it will just like stay together.
2: So it has a longer period, a longer period of staying together while being a grown plant.
1: Yeah, the other sorts of stuff that we changed with plants is. I mean, things like um, plants can now a lot of plants can flower and fruit at the same time, which they couldn't do.
2: That makes sense to be able to prepare for new seasons while like having a a steady crop.
1: Yeah, you have to you have to have something to harvest to in like an agricultural era. You have to have something to harvest to justify having the plant at all. You know,
2: I'd never considered that that was a weird thing. Like I've seen zucchinis and pumpkins do that, but Mm. I just I'd never considered it was weird to be growing fruit and flowers at the same
1: time. Yeah, but, like, when you think about it, it makes more sense because, like, that flowering and then turning into fruit is a process. Mm. Um, It's not just something that just kind of happens, and it's a very seasonal thing. Uh, In a similar note, um, the shift from perennial, which, how often is perennial? Oh, sorry, every two years. Um, The shift from, like, perennial to um, annual... Plant like life cycles, um, in with like crops and stuff was uh, human ah. development. Yeah, because um, then
2: you'd be going with the seasons that we observe rather than uh, a two, yeah, a two year cycle.
1: Yeah. Um. The other thing is another another big one was like different ecological conditions that like plants needed. We can grow, we can grow plants in conditions that. Like those that their wild ancestors could never have existed in, yeah. just because like we've bred them to be like more resilient to the sun or um, more resilient to water or whatever. Um, when we're talking about uh, domestication syndrome in vertebrates, we're talking more like docility, uh, changes in colors, uh, smaller teeth, like make to make them less kind of dangerous. Ah, uh, yeah. To so they us. can't
2: eat you in your sleep.
1: Yeah, stuff like that. Um, basically, things that. The things that, if you were to look at, say, a wolf and your pet dog, the things that you notice are different. Uh, That's domestication syndrome, like, quite literally. Yeah. Um, So the wolf was, the wolf, uh, the canis lupus, was the first uh, domesticated animal. Um, And this domesticated dog was just like this, like, everything changed. Your domesticated dog, it was, I believe, about 10,000 years ago. They dem- they started domesticating yeah yeah it was a about long ten thousand years day. ago following uh, livestock and crop domestication because as soon as we domesticated the wolf like that was when it clicked for humanity um, oh yeah once the wolf was domesticated it was just like they were like we can do so much. And then eventually, so this shift, this, like, domestication of, at first, crops that, like, led people to having farms, um, farms that were, like, reliable and consistent and better to keep in one place, Yeah, um, which was never a thing, um, back in, like, this early prehistory, um, created, like, agricultural hubs and agricultural centres and, like, over this, like... Domestication itself is probably the reason we have society. The reason we have civilization, mm. as we know it, because it was like this. Rather than in the words of the uh, like anarcho-primitivist authors, um, uh, it doesn't have any specific names, such as uh, Stephen Vickers Boyden.
2: Gotta love uh, Stephen Vickers Boyden.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, some some of them say that it was the it was specifically domestication of once we cuz once we domesticated the wolf we started domesticating like livestock and everything mm. and this like development of like agriculture and animal husbandry like shifted us from these like nomadic cultures that were like traveling everywhere and going to the different going following where the conditions were best instead they just, they made the conditions made made that life they had the conditions best. yeah exactly um and they so, think that like that is what led to this like this concept of ownership that we have at all, this like shift from communal resources, this to individual property. Yeah. Like this is everyone's now became, this is mine, mine because so it's at my house and I planted it. So, and what, I have it every year.
2: <laughs> what you're saying is that domestication, our, our history of domestication, whether that be domestication of animals or plants is really our own domestication as well. We've, yeah. we've taught ourselves to be house people.
1: Yeah, or at least people like the anarchists among us would would argue as much, because mm. um, it's it's this view that this ownership, this concept of owning things that you domesticated. Uh, they believe is like this... Because it is like this domination over some other entity mm. um, for a very, very... For like so long that you stop thinking about it as domination and start thinking about it as the natural order. Yeah. Um, it's... they The uh, anarcho-primitivists would argue that that's where hierarchy comes from as a concept. Oh, wow. Because like imagine a time where everything was communal, everyone shared and nobody had one place and then all of a sudden... You've got your own stuff that That's, you have to protect from others.
2: I uh, guess before that, the only concept of hierarchy is who can potentially kill you.
1: Yeah, well, and I mean... Who or
2: what can potentially kill you?
1: Mo- most colonial stuff has been premised on um, liberal property rights. I mean, mm. uh, John Locke's tree- Two Treatises on Government, which essentially just boils down to a justification of unlimited acquisition of property, is like the main... Ideological uh, ammunition for, was, was like the, one of the main pieces of amulog- a- ideological ammunition for the American Revolution. It was concepts of Western ownership in the face of, um, when faced with like cultural, nomadic, communal property that led to the um, violent colonization of, of Australia. Um, like Jeez. this property is hierarchy. And it yeah. has been forever. We just don't think about it because we think property is
2: well, it's become so normalized normal. yeah. in our societies. So that's that's actually a very interesting take on property as a concept.
1: Yeah, and like that's that's how significant something like domestication could be. And I think that's kinda of like what what like this show is about. And again, like this like resistance to domestication is is what justified a like a lot of violence and enslavement and stuff. Yeah. Um it's this like resistance to this transition where not in, not, not, necessi- not only into a society where things are owned, but into a society where the people who have shown up to change things own everything. I mean, the enclosure movement, for instance, in England was an exceptionally violent movement, and that was all based around domesticating crops.
2: I actually must admit I haven't read anything about the enclosure movement. Oh. Can I fill us in?
1: Uh, the enclosure movement is literally... What it sounds like. It was the just movement... Just putting things in enclosures. Yeah, it was the movement to, instead of having just land, to having land with fences.
2: Oh, wow. Okay, yeah, I can see...
1: And it and it was the violence of the landowners, or the potential landowners, that, like... This kind of, is officially mine. Yeah, this... I'm staking it out. This, like, economic elite, this, mar- this merchant class that was developing at this time. This... Uh, the predecessors to the um, capitalist class, the shift from the king owning everything to private entities owning everything, um, really comes in this, like, enclosure movement because it seems like such a given to us now, but, but like, the transition from a society where we all own everything to mm. Tim over there has the big guns, so he owns everything, would have been a very <laughs> bloody transition.
2: See, I'm, I'm now remembering... I wouldn't have
1: given up my common sh- my common property for fucking Timmy and his big guns...
2: This puts into context something I read. uh, It wasn't like in anything particularly academic. It's probably made up Mm -hmm. um, or at least elements of it probably are. Um, But there was, I read about in um, some Viking cultures, if you'd built a, a house, your property extended as far as you could throw an axe. Yeah. So exactly that far, that was the end of what was yours.
1: Yeah. You see it a lot with cultures that were expressly destroyed by the predecessors of modern cultures. Even like, because even something like that, which recognises like private ownership of property, it recognises private ownership of property on the basis of merit, not wealth. Mm. On the basis of you built a house here where there was not a house and you can throw an axe this far. So this is your land. You are allowed to have, it's the castle doctrine, it's purest sense. You're allowed to have as far as you could throw an axe to stop someone from taking your land.
2: Yeah. To to put it in modern history, it really contextualizes what has happened in Australia with um, land land ownership um, oh, from traditional owners. Oh, I completely. Mean, the right like, struggle now, for native title rights. Yeah, mm, I mean, right now we are sitting in an apartment in an apartment building in the valley, which is essentially the home of the the Yugara and Turbal people.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But there's just the valley con- it's a concrete jungle built around here. There's no way they can
1: claim that back. Yeah. What do um, you do with that? You yeah. can't, because then, like, private, private people own things, businesses own things, and so, and you just don't get it back from there. Native title doesn't let you get things back once someone's using it. You just have to hope that no one has been. Yeah, but it's the like,
2: stunning effects of domestication hmm. on political attitudes and on, and on other cultures that do not yeah. actively domesticate.
1: Yeah, we're sitting here right now because we domesticated plants and animals. Yep. That made us want to stay here. Absolutely um, Crazy. Yeah, no, it's it's ridiculous the like effect that stuff like this has. Oh, well, the other thing is, there has been like a noted with domesticated animals, kind of sharing DNA between like this like kind of crossbreeding between uh wi- the wild, like variant and the domestic variant of an animal yeah. was not uncommon. Um, there's like plenty of evidence that that's been happening for forever. The like breeding between. Similar types of domestic animals and like I the wild variants and stuff.
2: We wouldn't get the the variety of, of dogs that we have nowadays without mm. reintroducing some uh, some wild dogs back into the genetic pool somef- somewhere.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, so to kind of get down into sort the sorts of stuff to consider with. Animals specifically, because now that we've kind of talked about domestication as a concept, um, so there were three major ways that most animals turned into domestic animals. There were commensals, which were animals that were specifically adapted to like a niche. So we're dealing with like dogs that were good for hunting, Mm. uh, fowl that were good for like eggs and feathers and stuff, Um, cats which were. historically just like deal with like rodents and, rodents pests, and pests and stuff. Yeah. Uh, you also had uh, like f- prey animals, like food animals. So like sheep, cows, mm-hmm. goats, the stuff like livestock is what we'd call those. Yeah. Um. So the first one, like things adapted to a niche are probably animals that we treat a little bit nicer, a little bit more socially. They're uh, so animals for purpose. Yeah. Well, it's pets really yeah. uh, is what we'd call that. Those like domestic, it was those animals that then later turned into pets because exactly. they were in the home.
2: Yeah, and that's that's something I'll um, talk about a bit later as well. Um, is mm. some of the purposes for
1: those. Um, so yeah, we would also have livestock, and then uh, still falling within the like broad umbrella of livestock, but like utility animals, like draft horses, mm. um, um, oxen, like oxen to pull carts, yeah. camels to travel through the desert, stuff like that.
2: Now, camels, horses, camels are an entirely underutilized resources uh, in in the world as a whole and in RPGs. Oh yeah, no, I completely agree. Enough. I love the idea of using camels in your games.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely something we need to use more. Mm. Um. Apparently, like the other thing to remember is like animals that like for specific niches, like especially household niches, and animals that are for prey, were never really like intended to be domesticated like those aren't animals like we didn't start domesticating wolves because we were like i want to have a dog one day we started domesticating wolves because we saw that they were excellent hunters and someone came across a wolf that let them go near it yeah yeah Um, pretty much and they were like hmm if if we give the wolves stuff and then then the wolves will come back with some of their food and they don't kill us if we try to eat it if we were nice to them and same with like sheep and stuff like it's it's a result of not intentional, like, mutation. Because at the end of the day, it is mutation. Like, yeah. domestication is domestication, and creating GMOs is the same thing. Yeah. A genetically modified organism is just a domesticated organism.
2: Yeah, we've just done it in a slightly faster way because we understand the science of it now.
1: Yeah, we can be, like, more targeted in it. We can deal with, like, we can look at the genetics specifically Yeah, uh, but- rather than just, like having to cross-pollinate and stuff. But it's the same process.
2: Yeah, like no early, no, no one early in the process of domestication was like, hmm, I'm going to take this and turn it into this because they didn't understand that that's how it worked.
1: Yeah, the reason that GMOs are a thing now is because domestication has been happening for long enough that we can see its effects.
2: And we can pinpoint exactly what something's going to do.
1: Yeah, and we have the internet, so we have like a central database of knowledge so we can compare notes in a way that we just never could. So we know that like this has been happening for as long as it has and we know what we're doing with it and we can like draw from that body of knowledge in a way that like a culture that's maybe only domesticated a few things couldn't do because they maybe didn't realise that it was possible to do on such a wide scale or to do so specifically. Yeah. Because you don't have all like the variants to look at before you have like centralised knowledge. What a tangent. Um, Huge tangent,
2: but very cool stuff.
1: But yeah, there, there's some other fun stuff. But yeah, basically, just like remember who would be there and what they could and what their domestication is for. Um yeah. that's kind of the the lesson to take away from from this stuff. Um, there's also like we've domesticated kind of everything. It's mostly animals and plants, but we've also got like obviously birds, um, insects. We have like birds f- aren't animals. Birds don't count.
2: <laughs> no, birds don't count.
1: Uh, we have oh, I meant mammals. You know what I mean? Yeah, the silkworm and fruit flies. Uh, like obviously silkworm for silk, fruit flies yeah. for like scientific research. Um, Yeah, I'm quite trying useful. to think
2: of fruit flies for any reason other than scientific research and I'm cut, drawing blanks.
1: Just scientific research pretty much. They're pretty shitty otherwise.
2: Yeah, but worms for composting has been a thing for ages. Yeah,
1: exactly. Uh, after a certain point, it also becomes pretty gradual. That's another thing to note. Like the the early changes are pretty drastic. Um, And the other thing is, uh, the other couple of things are, remember that like, A lot of diseases have come from domesticating animals, Uh, like dogs and cats and stuff have given, um, given us have given us all sorts of stuff. Yeah, well, like cats.
2: I mean, didn't syphilis come from goats? Perhaps llamas.
1: I know that one of the I know that toxo one of the like most uh, really dangerous parasite especially if you have like um, an immunodeficiency Mm. uh uh, disease of some description um can be like really vicious um and just like comes from cat feces it's just like in cats it's just like in all cats most people probably have it it's just like not until your immune system is compromised that you noticed but like and cattle's given us a bunch of poxes oh Um,
2: yeah yeah mad cows fun
1: Plus, there's like some people criticize the idea to begin with. Like, even uh, aside from its implications, like there was, for instance, this concept in ancient Greece of of di- the different species of equus, the different kinds of horses, yeah. which was like this like very distinct species and these like constants. But now we just kind of focus on like the traits we're breeding. Yeah. So there aren't like di- eight different species of horses. It's just like here's a big horse and here's a little horse.
2: Yeah. Exactly. It's this a one's little brown.
1: More. <laughs> this one jumps good. Yeah. But yeah. like there were species of horses at one point and like that was really significant and constant for most of human history. So like there's a lot to say about um, kind of the dangers of domestication. I mean, domestication has also bred a bunch of um, kind of on that uh, Darwinian note from earlier hmm. has resulted in a lot of like genetic uh, issues with uh, oh, domesticated absolutely. animals. I mean, like, the, all the problems that, like... Take the pug. Yeah, just, like, look at the pug or the fucking bulldog or something. Um, it's super dangerous to be, like, that inbred and that focused on... Specific even if qualities. Yeah, even if they're not inbred, it's still breeding similar animals with similar animals. So it, like, undermines... It's, like, replacing natural selection with utility... Like, human utility selection... Yeah, which, which is like,
2: dangerous for ongoing survival and quality of life for certain animals. Yeah, it can
1: be, it can be really harmful because we don't know what the effects are going to be for a really long time. Like, sure, giving pugs bigger eyes made them cuter, but we didn't know what that meant because that meant retracting their eyelids so much that so their eyes don't stay in their head properly. Yeah. But, like, you're not thinking about that at the time. So, no. I don't know. I guess it's just one of those things that's, like, respect other things.
2: Yeah. On that sort of note of the way animals have changed throughout history, due to domestication. I wanted to talk a little bit about where your world's going to sit on the timeline there.
1: Yeah, um, that's pretty significant.
2: It's, it's incredibly significant because, realistically, in um, specifically Dungeons & Dragons in the forgot- Forgotten Realms, but in a lot of uh, high fantasy settings, you've got these really ancient cultures that have had domestication for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, but you also don't have the internet, you don't have... Um, electricity, anything that came and a lot of the scientific advances that came along with that. So yeah. you've got to decide where along that domestication chain you are and that will decide what animals look like, specifically what pets will look like.
1: Yeah, because most information being spread kind of like really widely at this time would be sp- the only a group with resources to do that would be something like a large religious organization or yeah. the state or something. So like if it's even even if it's not an insidious like trying to stamp out other cultures and it's just like not a matter of interest for the authorities then mm. you could have dogs in one side of the continent and have like full on just wild wolves everywhere on another side and, and they exactly. just never would have known
2: and so this is sort of i'm i'm going to go off the assumption that we're working our high fantasy worlds to be somewhere in sort of the Middle Ages um, equivalent to human history. But what you've got to think about is where does it sit and how long through the chain are you?
1: Those timelines and stuff, I think, are one of the most interesting things you can mess with as a DM. Oh, um, yeah. It, it doesn't seem like a lot, but like when you consider that like domesticating dogs started 10,000 years ago, I mean, fucking, we thought about domesticating wheat 12,000 years ago. Like yeah. Like a, so- a civilization, a society that's been extant for millions of years as opposed to several thousands
2: yeah exactly it's gonna be could
1: be like incomprehensibly developed in these aspects yeah so you have like so much variety even in just by virtue of it not being earth anymore even without getting into like weird sci-fi shit
2: yeah and i guess based on just the core the, the core rule books that we have the dogs that show up typically it's a mastiff that's yeah. the one we're using. We're using wolves or mastiffs.
1: Yeah, because we're dealing like fairly early domestication yeah. when it, we're just getting into like the first kind of real different output from domesticating wolves specifically for hunting. Yeah. And so you is, really would just have wolves and hunting dogs.
2: All right, so yeah, they're going to be there for a, a purpose of some sort and there's three sort of major purposes, which was...
1: To fill a niche such as yeah. like cats... Dealing with pests, dealing with pests, uh, um, prey animals sustenance. that we just want more that we want easier access to. Because remember, domestication is all about like just more predictable and sustainable output from something. Mm. So, like prey animals uh, that we would breed to like have higher quantities and uh, working animals.
2: Exactly. And one important thing about domestication, specifically of animals, is there needs to be a mutual relationship. Yes. Without that mutual relationship, if if the, for lack of a better term, people. I'm just going to use people. Yeah. Um. In fantasy settings, you're going to blur the lines of what are people and what are animals uh, a lot because there's a lot more articulate species around.
1: Yeah. My recommendation would be anything that is capable of language, anything with uh, that is able to understand a language, should be a people. Yep. Because that's, that's kind of when we say that people started being people.
2: Yeah. It's just interesting when you then then get to the, the law of like mimics being able to speak. That's very interesting yeah. and opens up a whole bunch of questions when you get... Because magic is huge and real. It has so many effects that are just wild in their philosophical implications. And you've got to think about that sort of stuff.
1: Well, I mean, I, um, would, I would probably just say, just like a kind of gut check, that my distinction would be, is language used to communicate? Is it used to express abstract thought? Or is it used purely functionally? If there is a if there is a limited use of functions that, that a creature can use language for, and language isn't purely just to express abstract thought, then that's probably where I draw that line. Yeah. So, like a mimic, for instance, that you that like mimics human voices for to lure in prey.
2: Yeah, if it's just a lure, probably not. If it's actually like, talking to yeah. you and communicating concepts, then okay, that's probably a, a person.
1: Yeah, it, it should be a person if talking to it. If the words you say to it could have, could in some language, in some circumstance, have some effect Mm. on how it feels, then that's probably a people.
2: Yeah. But that side note aside, that's a great tangent. I love, love these.
1: It's kind of relevant.
2: It is kind of relevant, Um, (laughs) so. But but
1: yeah, yeah. that's super key. You have to remember that there has to be some value to both sides of this. Yes. Because while one organism is dominant in this relationship, it is a mutual relationship.
2: Yeah. And no, no animal is going to fulfil their purpose if they are feeling if they're just trapped in a cage. Especially not
1: for like dozens of generations, which is necessary for something like this. Uh, They're
2: just going to become subservient. Yeah. Completely. some of the big reasons for that are going to be like fo- food, shelter, safety. Um, those are some of the most notable that we tend to provide.
1: Yeah. And you have to remember that the behaviors that you're building their like desirable traits off of have to be something that would exist completely separate from like mm. sentient creatures. Yeah. Like a, for instance, like a cat didn't start eating mice because we wanted them to start eating mice. A cat started eating mice in our homes because we had a lot of mice and they were already eating mice. Exactly. Like, it's got to be something that both organisms are... Either one organism has the ability to force another organism to behave a certain way. Like, for instance, like humans over sheep uh, Mm. would be a a better example of that. Or something that, like, both would desire this relationship, desire this cooperation. And then Um, the unfortunate fact is then the intelligent creature gets too much control and can mess up the other. But it has to be Um, mutual from the beginning.
2: So taking a a slight step back is I'm going to look at more the aesthetic and function of particular animals um, as they are. So I'm going to be working for the purposes of this on the assumption that we're looking at a slightly more historical bent and Mm -hmm. that we're earlier, earlier along the uh, domestication and evolutionary chain or, and the the people manipulated um, evolutionary chain. So if you're looking at things like dogs, you're not going to get a beagle and you're not going to get a, a chihuahua, or you might get a chihuahua. I think they they grew separately in. Did they? I'll have to. We'll have to research that one. Yeah, um,
1: I don't know which when like chihuahuas started kicking about.
2: Yeah, but we're not going to see things like pugs, um, mastiffs, and greyhounds. Yes, absolutely. You might see things like huskies or mountain dogs. Um, they're going to be dogs that are larger, and they're going to serve a particular purpose. Yeah, um, that's
1: kind of going to be a running theme in. Pets kind of around what we would consider like Middle Ages yeah. timelines because we would still, going by Earth timelines, be very early in this process. So it's still based on the utility.
2: Yeah. So you might see, um, you might see things more like cattle dogs um, or mountain dogs. You might even see um, in hunting there's pointers and retrievers um, or you might just see more general hunting dogs that do
1: both. Stuff like mountain dogs and stuff I think would be a little bit easier to justify because they would... Uh, creatures that would be bred in more isolated regions. So there would be less kind of crossover with them in the wild populations. Exactly. Um, So you could have like a mountain dog a lot sooner than you could have a golden retriever.
2: Yeah. Um, And then having a look, um, cats are a really interesting one because- Cats are fun. They just
1: kind of decided to do it.
2: Yeah. They basically came along. We'd started storing wheat in silos and so we started getting a lot of domestic pests. Mm. And so cats just came along. Because of the effects
1: of moisture just getting into like big supplies of grain.
2: Yeah. And so, we the cats just kind of came along and started eating things, and we liked that they were eating the things that were eating our food, and, and so, not our food. And it not turned our food. out that was fun. And then so we just started giving them some shelter and letting them eat the pests, and occasionally feeding them um, when they couldn't catch enough.
1: And then we realized they like cuddles, and our pact was sealed.
2: Exactly. Um, that is one thing. Companionship is an important part. Yes. It is actually a function of yes. domestication, and. In some cases, you will only get companionship from uh, a pet. That will be the sole purpose. Mm. Um, specifically, in modern day society, that's in. that's Absolutely. what essentially pets have become in most cases.
1: Yeah, because that was the thing. Like companionship was at one point a byproduct of having to work with an animal all the time. Is like you develop a relationship. Like for instance, like when you're if you're dealing with an era where you're using horses as your main form of transport, then you're riding a horse as your main form of transport. Like, yeah. think about how often you spend in your car. If your car had a personality, then you'd probably be friends with it too.
2: Well, there's the the famous historical one is Alexander the Great and his horse Bucephalus.
1: Mm. It was the, they were apparently very closely bonded.
2: Yeah, they were basically inseparable.
1: Yeah. It's a shame. Do you know Alexander the Great died in his early 30s? Wow. Yeah, he conquered. It's he had so much in that time. He had the largest empire of his known... In his age, uh, the largest empire I think before like industrialization really picked up. Crazy, um, truly one. I think it's like the third largest empire of the ancient world or something. It was like something stupid, before and it was before
2: the age. Of 35.
1: Because you know what he did? He took power at like 20 and he was like, mm, I'm going to conquer the world now. And he just like the first day walked in and was like, okay guys, we're, we're heading out. We're going to go conquer. And they just kept doing it he, until he died. <laughs> he did
2: the secret. He, he, he manifested his own destiny. And
1: it worked. It worked really well. <laughs> um,
2: yeah. So uh, cats.
1: Yes, yes cats.
2: Um, so here's something really interesting to take on. Cats will also be larger. Uh, they're also going to be yeah. a little bit more distinct than dogs at this stage, but as far as what we can tell, all domestic cats that we know can be traced back to the genetic family of Felidae, which
1: includes... The feline family.
2: Yeah, the feline family. For those
1: playing along at home. Um,
2: which includes the tiger, the Canada lynx, uh, fishing cats, European wildcats, ocelots, uh, servals, cougars, all sorts of different cats. Mm. And Um, there is
1: almost none of them that are small.
2: No, um, I think the smallest of them is probably the the serval, which are still pretty big cats.
1: I think there's a couple of exceptions. Like I think there are like some pygmy cats kicking about, Um, like specific species that had existed for a long time. But yeah, it's like cats are, as a rule, kind of the same size. Yeah. So, are wolves. To be fair, at this time, like you'd be dealing with bigger, bigger dogs too. You
2: will be dealing with bigger dogs, um, but yeah. So, with cats, be prepared for bigger cats. Um, they're going to be a lot more dangerous. Yeah. Um, they may still look a little more like domestic cats, act a little more like domestic cats. I mean, you've seen domesticated tigers and lions and um, cheetahs and stuff like that in zoos and nature reserves. They can be really cuddly and yeah, friendly, but. They will be more dangerous and they will be bigger.
1: Yeah, because that's the thing. You have to remember that all of these animals must have had enough desire to like be com- the companions of people mm. to have continued to be the companions of people without killing them all. So, like, there are definitely like days where you can cuddle a wolf and you can cuddle a tiger. Yeah, but it's this like very. It's it's definitely I think at this time a relationship more based on whether or not, more determined by whether or not you can respect the animal in the way that it needs to be. Because like, sure, a lynx is going to be your bud for a while, but if you don't leave that lynx alone, the moment it wants to be left alone, it's going to eat your entire face. Yeah, So Um, it's just like, uh, people that owned especially cats in an era like this, but I guess dogs to some extent, uh, they're just more naturally. Yeah. Docile, would have to be very respectful and very careful with how they behaved around their animals.
2: Yeah. But, um, yeah, they'll either be bigger or they'll be a lot more agile. Um, that's yeah. specifically for mouses, for um, pest catchers. Um, they will need to be able to fit into tight spaces and to grab Sorry, pests.
1: Did you say mouses? Yeah. As in M-O-U-S-E-R-S? Yes. Fuck, I love that word. Please continue. <laughs> yeah.
2: Um, that's uh, that's pretty much mouses. cats as it goes. But um, one thing to bear in mind, we think these days, of exotic pets as being sort of really strange animals, people keeping crocodiles or, you know, toucans or stuff like that. But long ago, before domesticated cats and dogs were really commonplace, most pets were exotic pets. So they're going to be more normal. It's going to be more normal to have a pet crocodile in this age than it is to, you know, have one now.
1: Yeah, because now we have pets, but... Pets, uh, really a pet is an animal that is like domesticated to the point where it doesn't really serve a function anymore beyond being a pet, beyond being like a companion animal. Um, So so, like in a, yeah, in a time where you don't have, where the closest thing you have to that is like a partially domesticated wolf and like a handful of like uh, more docile livestock animals and stuff, like... Something like a pet crocodile would seem no less bizarre. So if we can make it work with wolves, then why, wouldn't, why not try it? People would be way more, way more willing to try new things in this time.
2: Yeah. And so I was, I was actually thinking of some various different things that you could um, replace.
1: Oh, woo! would. Please so, do tell.
2: Um, here's a historical precedent is for security. Uh, in ancient Egypt, they use Nile geese because if the geese were disturbed, they'd make a ton of noise. Oh, my God. So, you could use That sounds geese. really
1: practical, but really awful. I fucking hate geese.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, and I believe... For this
1: reason specifically.
2: I believe in China, they kept nightingales for the same reason. Um, see, that sounds way nicer. When they were disturbed, they'd make a ton of noise.
1: But, like, nice noise, at least. Um, nicer noise. noise.
2: And if you take a look in your monster manual, here's a really fun one that I love. Um, take a look in your monster manual. Jump back to fungus. And you will see... The second creature under fungus is called a shrieker.
1: Ooh! Uh,
2: and basically, if you get too near to a shrieker, it'll make if a bright light or a creature is within thirty meet, meters of the thirty feet of the shrieker, it emits a shriek audible within three hundred feet. Wow! Three hundred feet. So basically, that if you want to guard got some something,
1: lungs.
2: Yeah, if you want to guard something, put some some shriekers in there. Other things are like hunting. Traditionally, you had like pointing and retrieving and things like falconry.
1: I will just quickly note that it was specifically with shriekers, there is a historical precedent to domesticate fungus as well. Like white button mushrooms are a domesticated fungus.
2: I love that. I love that so much.
1: Uh, penicillin, penicillin sorry, comes from domesticating fungus.
2: Yeah, uh, it does too. It does too.
1: So like, you can do it. We can do it.
2: Yeah. But then things like uh, uh, hunting... Imagine your domestic... Um, if somebody's huh. got a really exotic pet, imagine somebody having a Blink Dog or a Displacer Beasts. These are creatures of the Feywild. Um, <laughs> so for anyone who doesn't have a monster manual in front of them, Displacer Beasts and Blink Dogs are in the Feywild, sort of, they are built to be each other's natural enemies. kind of like a mongoose and cobras. And essentially both teleport. Blink Dogs are these... Sharp, sharp-featured dogs and displacer beasts look a bit like a jaguar with tentacles coming out its back. God, that's cool. Yeah, and they are polar opposites and they will teleport. Uh, the displacer beasts will also strike out and grapple with their
1: tentacles. Mm, seems like a pretty good reason to have a, have a pet imagine, can handle the Wilds. Huh?
2: Imagine having... Uh, so some you know, eccentric, eccentric uh, noble having their hunting pet for trying to track down small game can just teleport in, use its tentacles to just grab some things.
1: Oh my God. Yeah, it's literally... Okay, guys. It's literally just like, imagine a puma and then imagine if it had three tails and looked cool as hell. And that's pretty much just this thing. Yep. Um, I've just noticed the that it
2: has six legs.
1: Oh God, yes. Oh my God, I want this so badly. Another pitch, I mean, two animals that have co-evolved would make sense to be able to breed them. So imagine tr- navigating the Feywilds with some like crossbred offspring of the two. Oh, dear! That is able to effective that is like still a teleporting animal companion, but is able to like effectively dispatch. Anything in the Feywilds. Oh, dear. Something that is genetically designed to be able to handle all of the predators. I love that. Anything that can teleport, my dog will
2: eat. <laughs> but yeah, like this is the sort of stuff, when you're bringing it into your game, you've just got to figure out with your pets how people have access to it, how domesticated they've been, whether they've been changed by that, uh, what purpose they serve, and uh, what do they get out of it. Oh, Oh, yeah. Also... As far as pets go, in a world with magic, golems, golems, golems make so much
1: more sense than having pets. Fuck pets. I want a golem.
2: Yeah, but they're they're specifically brought into the world for a purpose, usually security or offence. But they are in essence pets, and if you you could treat them as such,
1: yeah, yeah, because I mean, a creature that you have brought into like your kind of living area for the purposes of defense is like the definition of what like we bred guard dogs for. Yeah. Um, that is the pet uh, that's a pet in, the, in its purest kind of form, though I guess uh, you lose the domestication. Yeah, but if um, you look at
2: like pseudo dragons um, are a great example of it. They they've grown essentially to be familiars. Yeah. And you domesticated plants are really interesting especially when you get animate plants.
1: Mm. Well, that's the thing. Um, a lot of things have, a lot of, like, fantasy creatures have more complicated kind of takes on sentience than I think we're used to. Mm. Which, I mean, may be purely just because we don't know enough about it to know how complicated it is. But, like, when you're writing the rules, you can write the rules however you want. Exactly. So, like, something that, like, exists in the Feywild, for instance, may have, like, a little bit more capacity for critical thought. Um yeah. Just by virtue of like the magic that embodies the kind of like mischievous and like all-knowing fay in like the in their like classical presentations, um, or something like something like a deep sea creature, like because octopi, for instance, have uh, oh. have what scientists believe to be a highly advanced and completely unfathomable form of consciousness. Yeah. Um, just because we came from completely different creatures, our, our like. Common ancestor with octopi is so far back that we'll never understand how their brains work oh, unless they work out a way to tell us.
2: Very... Like, that'd be from a... Basically, when we started becoming multicellular, would yeah. be about where we've split.
1: Yeah, that was pro- that's probably, like, one of the furthest back common ancestors that we have with any creature alive. Um,
2: yeah, that's that's nuts.
1: But, like, they can watch people and monitor people and plan things and, like, have ambitions. Like, there are octopi that can, like, memorise guard routes so that they can sneak around mm. aquariums to eat fish unnoticed.
2: Um. Oh, there's... Um, I just realised in all my research, because we've... Upcoming, we're going to be talking about... Uh, spoiler warning. We're going to be talking about mermaids. Yeah. Um, that's going to be a fun one. Looking at the various different... Tune um, in next week. Yeah. And looking at uh, various aquatic races nowhere in any of the literature that I have found have any of these races domesticated octopode, octopi, octopode. They they domesticate barracuda, dolphins, um, various different types, like quippers, they've domesticated eels and rays. Um, Sometimes they've even used dragon turtles as specific, as like uh, they've trained them to perform a task for their goals. Yeah. Not once. Have I seen an in universe mention of octopode being used uh, domesticated um, yeah so there's a there's a challenge for anyone who's really good with d and d law find me that example
1: and it's interesting because um to see that difference because we for a very very long time, and I guess people probably still do consider uh, dolphins as like kind of our closest uh equal in terms of like sentient thought, hmm. but it seems like more and more. Like uh, in, when it comes to like the creatures of the deep, like the octopi, like a dolphin, dolphins are perhaps evolving to a similar sentience, but it seems like octopi are just there.
2: Yeah, they've got the the problem solving. Um, cephalopods have all sorts of amazing abilities, like innate camouflage. Yeah, um,
1: yeah. So it would be interesting to see. Like it's it's this weird. Kind of noting the recognition in like the writers that uh, I don't know we don't really know how to deal with this one. These ones are too smart to be to be pets. So like, what would an alliance between uh, a a land, the land folk, and the octopods look like? Yeah, maybe something built a little bit more on discussion than yeah. domestication. But that's just a thought. Do you have any more about your I'm, your stuff?
2: I'm pretty happy to to.
1: Call it there. Oh, I have a, I have a few more like kind of D and D specific things to consider. let it. Um, just a handful of questions for, and for the for your DM to kind of ask themselves. Kind of building off of the stuff, really, just kind of focusing what we've said so far. Hmm. So just make sure that you remember, um, what you have to ask. What the purpose of the of a specific domesticated animal is, or a domesticated thing, like what utility it's a, uh, what utility that domestication serves both entities. Um, how long it's been going on. Cause again, like we talked about, like partly tame animals could be an interesting kind of threat mm. or dynamic to introduce, but maybe you just don't want to deal with that yeah. because that seems like a lot of work to be looking over your shoulder to see if that dog's going to eat you all the time. Um, Talk about if you want to like kind of have a variety in pets again, and this is building off of my like constant thing of like stop making things about racism. Yeah. Um. Don't have things tied to like the racial aesthetics of a fantasy group of like a fantasy kind oh, of creature, not. and tie your the pets that societies grow up uh, kind of co-evolved with more to like their regions and the needs that come from living in those regions. Yeah, it's and environment like and utility. The, yeah, the physiology yeah. of the different entities and the place that they live is, like, a far more interesting and far more kind of organic way to develop those ideas. Yeah. Um, uh, Also remember, like, how do you get pets? Work that out. How do people get a pet animal? Like, if someone wants a master, for instance, they have to, like, do they go to a I pet mean, store? Do they go to a mastiff shop? Do it's they? It's
2: gonna be pretty rare to find a pet store, I'd exactly.
1: Say. So, like, are they going? But like, maybe there are markets where you deal with this. Maybe it's like maybe pet there's stores are
2: a couple of traveling salesmen.
1: Exactly. Like, maybe pet stores aren't common, but there are still some, and you still like typically go to them. Uh, maybe it's like going to breeders. Uh, hmm. Maybe it's like, um, as I have in my notes, do they have to go and tame slash bond with an animal themselves, like in fucking James Cameron's at masterwork Avatar? Yes. Um, Yes. So ask yourselves these sorts of questions. Um, Also, like, do they need training? What sort of training do they need? Is it like... uh, The training would have to be around uh, dealing with the kind of, like, negative traits that come with that creature's, like, inherent abilities, its inherent, like, temperament, um, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, Because, like, we don't train dogs the way we do just because we feel like it. We train dogs the way we do because that's the best way to get this animal based on its biology to do the – to serve the function that it's serving. Yeah. Um, The thing is, uh, so some – maybe some animals, like, more intelligent creatures with, like, higher intelligence scores in terms of, like, D&D stats would be easier to deal with. Might be, like, like if more cognizant of the fact that they are safe and taken care of, whereas, like, and need less kind of domestication, whereas, like, an animal that's kind of more operating on instinct – would probably need that to be that like comfort to be bred into them in a mm. more uh targeted kind of sense. Um the other thing is, and here's kind of where I would leave it, is remember that wolves all kind of look the same and dogs look very different. And that's because a lot of um, domestication was was built around aesthetics. So remember that depending on how domesticated creatures are, whether they're domesticated at all, the purposes that they've been domesticated for will change how animals look as well. If you're still a lot earlier in this process, then dogs are all kind of going to look like wolves. But if you're... Ten thousand years down the line, then you could have six hundred different dog breeds. You know, yeah, um, and yeah. So I think that's pretty much everything. All everything I had.
2: Beautiful. Well, if we take a quick break, we can come back to you with uh, a little bit of a, a plot hook or a world-building hook. Yeah, that you can build into your own campaigns.
1: See you soon. See you
2: soon. sooner than you
1: We're back. Hello, everyone. It's your favourite nasty folk, and we're here with a quest.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I just, I love that. We're going to go by nasty folk now.
1: We're the nastiest of folk. So, we had a little bit of a discussion, kind of off mic, Mm. about quests and the like. We'd like to share with you what we came up with. So, the thing we kind of settled on was an idea that kind of makes use of this distinction. <laughs> I'm sorry, Tully just put on aviators. It's really dark in here. <laughs> and Tully just, like, put on aviators. <laughs> yeah, I can't see anything. It's, yeah. It's really funny. Um, um, So kind of playing with this, like, distinction between taming and domesticating. We, we, we discussed the possibility of, like, including this kind of pet salesman, this uh, combination between, like... Eccentric, uh, an it, eccentric it,
2: merchant, I think, is the best way to describe them.
1: Yeah, like an eccentric, an eccentric merchant with like a menagerie of exotic pets, you know, mm. um, and someone who, rather than going through the arduous process of domestication, which may have been really impractical for one person to do with uh, a creature that maybe has like a longer lifespan, for instance, um, decides, hmm, let us turn to the arcane arts. And essentially just, like, bypasses domestication in favour of, like, taming, magically, uh, exotic and, like, wild animals.
2: You know what I've just realised? Um, we've got a perfect justification for this character to be a, uh, a very powerful arcane practitioner. Um, because how else do you get a, lo- a menagerie? Yeah, how, do, how else do you make a menagerie portable? Oh, yeah. You put it in a magnificent mansion, Uh which happens to be an existing spell that we have. You can just open up your pet shop anywhere.
1: Yeah, and then that just, like, super leads into, like, the, like, eclectic kind of uh, worldly merchant with his, like, inscrutable wares. Can
2: you imagine being accosted on the road? This merchant goes, I have some pets for you. Follow me. Spends a minute casting a spell and then... These doors open up out of nowhere into a mansion-sized pet shop.
1: See, I like the idea that he sets up before he speaks to people, so he's just kind of standing in, like, the, standing on the side of the road, and someone walks past, and he's like, "Ah, follow me, traveler," and, and he turns around, open
2: the doors, and like
1: there aren't doors there, but he opens the door, <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, and you just like walk into like this arcane archive slash zoo. <laughs>
2: Yes, uh, this is this is what spells like that are meant to do. Yeah,
1: there's uh, this like this, you've got to remember that this is supposed to be a world. These all of these things are supposed to be moving parts in this like vast civilization. That, like, I mean, people would have done whatever anything that could have been done with this stuff would have been exactly. Um, so, for instance, in our example, this. Um, uh he, having conjured this like magnificent mansion and having this like vast menagerie inside uh this uh kind of magical merchant starts selling these exotic animals to people having cast whatever magic he needs to to make them to make them like pets. yeah to make yeah. them tame um to m- give them the like psychological effects of domestication however after selling to i mean Someone spread. close
2: or to the party?
1: Yeah, I mean, maybe even just—it's important because he's sold uh, most of the pets in the in like this area. Maybe he's kind of not as bound by time and is just like kind of chilling around, selling animals to people, you know? Yeah, um, and has been for a long time. And then all of a sudden, <gasps> he's found dead.
2: Oh, I just—I've just had the best image for how it happens, too. If you're going to and from a place, yeah. on the way there you get accosted. He's trying to sell you these magnificent pets. On the way back, you just see the door to the... this extra-dimensional door oh
1: open. Oh god, this invisible door, just like slightly ajar.
2: Yeah, and you you walk in to discover this merchant, ripped to shreds, absolutely annihilated.
1: And animals disappeared. Mm. Um, and so... Terrified that these these vicious creatures, because you have got to remember, if you're if you're bypassing uh like domestication, then you're not you're not getting rid of like the dangerous physical traits of animals either. Like changes in size and changes in like uh, teeth and claws and stuff came mm. as a result of domestication, so you'd still be dealing with like powerful predators.
2: Yeah, yeah. So you find which
1: could like if something goes wrong with one of them,
2: oh, it's terribly wrong.
1: How many people could die? If everyone had tigers in their house and then the spell that makes tigers your pet wears off, then everyone's going to be killed by tigers.
2: And so perhaps as uh, somewhere close to where you found it, you find a magical object that will allow you to open this magnificent mansion where you need yeah. and the bill of sale of uh, the ledger of sales for every pet that was sold.
1: Yeah. And then going through the list and, and,
2: and trying to figure out triangle- which ones are going to, uh, yeah. to, to go to- feral.
1: F- trying to find try to find like some connection between it maybe some clue based on the body or the scene maybe some string of attacks from a various from from some like specific type of animal that your party like slowly becomes aware of yeah. There's a like, disconnected accounts that like together form this broad picture um and really anything
2: this is sort of a fun intrigue where there's no assassination per se you're more following up on an event that's happening and trying to squash some uh, terrible incident that's going to happen. Mm.
1: Um, you could even go like full on like Agatha Christie, the killer is in the house style by having just had the animals fled uh, flee. Oh, if anyone around has a speak home. with animals spell, yeah, anyone has a speak with animals spell. Uh, maybe a vast mansion like this has extensive staff, and there were lots of people there and stuff, and it Actually. becomes like questioning suspects but instead of questioning suspects about their connection to the murder it's about what they know about the animals that could have done it I mean so then you kind of get the best of both worlds
2: does have a bunch of invisible servants
1: right so perfect opportunity for
2: I mean um, you could reskin that a little bit to have I guess permanent extra-planar servants
1: yeah or even just folks maybe it's just like maybe he's just hired some folks yeah maybe he's just like some people that he gave a job to um, and then you kind of get this element of, like, intrigue and, like, murder mystery, but you still include the, like, the vast variety that you could get from, like, magically created pets.
2: Yeah. This, this I think, is my favourite of our plot hooks. Yeah. I, I really like It's definitely like my
1: favourite NPC we've come up with so far, mm. is this just, like, this eccentric merchant.
2: This incredibly powerful mage. That is just focused on domesticating animals and selling them.
1: Yeah, and it would be so easy to have to connect it to any kind of overarching plot that you wanted. I mean, a powerful merchant could have all sorts of ties to uh, politics and governments. Um, they could be into poaching. Uh, yeah. They could be into it could like even forbidden be that magic. It could uh, even
2: be that it's just your big bad has had some interaction, potentially has purchased from them
1: or if you want to if you want to get if you want to really like connect this guy to the overarching plot maybe if you have something uh some big bad that has like some kind of mind controlling capacities something some similar to maybe like a mind flayer or something or some like powerful magical entity they've
2: learned it from them
1: then perhaps or perhaps it could it, these powers that this that this guy has could even be the result of a warlock pact with them ah with that like a, is very cool with a more powerful kind of big bad so then this gives you an opportunity to have like an interesting and like que- interesting quest that seems like its own thing, but then the party realizes, oh no, this was just another thing, and it kind of like it gives them a moment of like, wow, things really have gone to hell, and things really are bad, huh? Yeah, this like really impactful moment when they realize that like even this like little quest that they went on was just more of this villain's schemes or something along those lines. Oh, I don't
2: man, know. I love that. Just some ideas. Yeah. Um, But thank you all for listening. Um, We know these episodes are long. We thank you for listening the whole time through, as we said uh, last episode. Which you'd
1: better have. Fuck you if you didn't. No, I'm kidding. You can skip some stuff if you want.
2: But yeah, like we said last week, as of time of recording, there's about 500 of you, which is absolutely amazing.
1: Super buck wild.
2: Um, We would love to to get in contact with you guys and to hear your thoughts, to hear anything you'd like to hear us do, or if you've used anything like this in your campaigns.
1: Yeah, we would love to hear about that.
2: Um, So you can catch us, as per usual, at Dungeon Deep Dive on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram.
1: We are deepdivetnc at gmail.com if you want to establish, like, a more sophisticated dialogue.
2: Exactly, and uh, if you'd really like, chuck us a message uh, anonymously and we'll set up a P.O. box for you. Um, I'd do it. Yeah, I, I would do it. But we would love to hear from you guys. Um, there's 500 of you. We've had a little bit of contact. We'd love some more. So we're going to try and be a little more active on the socials and uh, hopefully we'll hear some suggestions.
1: Yeah, hope to hear from you guys soon. Leave reviews all places that that means something. Um, exactly,
2: we are on... Uh, Pretty much every podcatcher. I think we're still working with Google Podcasts, but that should be coming up soon.
1: Uh, but we—I know for a fact that we are on like iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, all that good stuff.
2: Yep, all your major major podcatchers of choice.
1: Um, and with that, have a fucking good one, gang! Oh my God, what an outro. <laughs>
0: TV shows we watch say a lot about ourselves.
1: Like how
2: political dramas allow Kurt to escape from real-world politics.
0: And how Jane's obsessed with identity themes in teen drama.
2: (laughs) It can be tricky to work out why we love the things that we love. And that's why we started the podcast, Made You Look.
0: Bothers me in superhero shows. Right. I don't know why. Each week we pick an episode of one of our favourite TV shows and force the (laughs) other person to watch it. Sometimes we actually manage to convince each other that these shows are great. I really appreciate that it could be super expository without being super expository. And sometimes we, mostly Jane, uh, pulls them to absolute pieces.
2: Hey, you can't just hang a lantern on it. And expect me not to notice that that's a dumb plot point to get you from A to B.
0: It's always a pretty fun time. And sometimes we discover new things about ourselves, our friendship, or something about the media we consume.
2: Oh, our friendship. Yeah. (laughs) Come find us. Made You Look is now available on the That's Not Canon podcast network.